HDC Hesperia. How are we doing today? Good, good. Well, hey, I know what you're thinking right off the top of your head. Man, did streaming go down? Did, what's going on? Or like, you're supposed to be doing that and not this. Well, we're changing things up a little bit this weekend to, to give a little bit of a fresh taste. But I can guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. And rest assured, Jason will not be leading worship this weekend. So you can rest assured that will not happen. And I can say that because he'd be the first one to tell you that he has no vocal ability whatsoever when it comes to singing. But that's besides the point. Hey, it's great to be with you. My name is Tim Sevilla. I'm usually the worship leader here on um, Sunday and Saturday services at HDC Hesperia. And it's great to be with you. And I have the honor of bringing God's word to you today. So if you need a copy of the notes, first and foremost, raise your hand. Our ushers will get you a copy of those notes as quickly as they can. And today we'll be continuing our series of 40 Days of Compassion. And Pastor Kurt did a fantastic job um, last week of just talking about what compassion for the needy looks like. And I know for me personally, that's something that um, I tend to struggle with. When I, when I encounter a homeless person, when I encounter someone um, who just makes you kind of feel a little uncomfortable when you see them on the streets or when they come up to your car, I tend to seize up a little bit. And so it was a great opportunity to be able to hear how we as Christians, how we as believers can interact with those people and even better serve them in the love that Jesus has for them. And so we're going to be continuing on our series of 40 Days Compassion. But before we do that, um, show of hands, how many of you have ever been lost before? How many of you have ever been lost? Okay, we got, we got quite a few. We have more guys last service that, that raised their hand for that because let's face it, as guys, we don't want to admit we're lost. You'd be driving, you're like, sweetheart, I think we're lost. We're not lost. We're not lost, right? Something we don't like to admit. But I'll be the first one to tell you that um, when it comes to being lost, I'm the first one to, uh, to grab my iPhone and pull up directions and say, Siri, where's the directions to this? Because it's something that I rely on. Um, if I don't know where I'm going. But I will say this. I will say this. As soon as I've been to that place at least once, I will know the directions. But a couple of years back, we got to go on our dream honeymoon um, to the Emerald Isles of Ireland. And it was beautiful. It's as beautiful as you think it is. And we got to go do that. But one of the ways, the primary ways that you navigate um, Ireland is actually by car. And so you rent a car and you drive around Ireland. And so my wife and I, we rented this tiny little car. It's called Nissan Micra. It's about as European as European car you would think. But I loved it because I was like, I want something to be able to go around those windy, narrow roads. Except when those windy, narrow roads have semi-trucks coming towards you, that's when it gets a little scary in the tiny little car. And so so we're driving and we go down to the southwest um, corner of Ireland to a place called Killarney. And it was gorgeous. But one of the things in um, that southwest end corner is something called the Ring of Kerry. And the Ring of Kerry, it's a beautiful drive. It's a fantastic drive that goes all the way around this peninsula and then wraps back around to the, to the mainland of Ireland. And so my wife and I are like, sweet, well, we'll take this car and we'll go around the Ring of Kerry. And it's beautiful. Well, one of the things that we absolutely love doing when we're in Europe is we love seeing old castles. How many of you have been to an old castle before? It's pretty sweet. You smell just the, the, the oldness of it. It smells great. It's just, it's this old, like musky type of smell. And I just absolutely love it. And so we're driving and we see the sign on, on the ring of Kerry. 
And I was like, oh, sweet, there's a castle. Like, like, let's go to the castle. And so we're like, sweet. So we head down that way, and we pass this beautiful beach. We get out. We put our feet in the, in the ocean because I would love one day to set my foot in every single ocean on this planet. Antarctica might be a little bit of a challenge, but we're going to try and make it happen. And so I set my foot in this ocean. I'm like, cool, let's continue on to the castle. And so we start driving, and we drive for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, I'm like, where the heck is this castle? Like, what, what's going on? And my wife's in tears. She's like, I'm so hungry. We're, we're so lost. We don't know where we're going. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, there's supposed to be a castle here. Well, here's a little tidbit of information. If you ever go to Ireland, this is going to be super important for you to remember. This castle, it's a castle, but it's a sand castle. And Ireland came up with a great idea to say, hey, let's tell people where this beautiful beach is by putting a sandcastle on their signs. And so me seeing it, I'm like, oh, sweet, there's a castle, not knowing that the beach that I went to was actually the place that this sign is pointing to. And so we turned back around and we headed back to, to our hotel. But, but let's face it, we've all in one point in time in our lives have been lost. Whether it's driving, whether it's walking, whether it's watching a play or a show, you're just like, I have no idea what's going on, right? But we've all at one point have been lost. And I'll say this too, that we have all at one point in our lives been spiritually lost. No one is born perfect. No one is born with a sense of direction, with, with the light of God in their lives. We're all born into sin. And so we've all experienced that, that state of being spiritually lost. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what does it look like to have compassion for the lost? What does it look like to have compassion for those people who have never heard of Jesus before, have never experienced Jesus, those who, those who are still dead inside, those who are drained of hope, those who are walking in darkness, and those who are having the, the oppression of the world, the oppression of evil constantly on their lives. So we're going to talk about that today in this in this series. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And I want to make a little bit of a push right now, is that if you don't have a Bible, there's one right in front of you. And more importantly, if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible that's in front of you. And if you need a Bible, come see us at the welcome table. We would love to get you connected with the Word of God. And if you don't, if you're like, oh, I don't feel like reading a Bible or a book, it's old, it feels dated, there's new apps on your cell phone too that you can download now and you can have it on your cell phone. So that's just a little push that I wanted to make to us today. And so if you have a Bible, look at Matthew chapter 9. And today we're going to look at four encounters that Jesus had with people in need. Four encounters that Jesus had with people who were experiencing darkness, who were experiencing hopelessness, who were experiencing death. And we're going to jump right into it right now. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for this day and just the opportunity to be able to share your word and the opportunity to be able to be diving in, Lord, and learning what does it look like to have compassion for the lost? What does it look like to have compassion for those who are in need? Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct us, open up our hearts as we hear from your word. In your name, amen. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 18, and it says this, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. And I want to stop right there. Now, I want us to remember this very important fact of this scripture 
is that the ruler asked Jesus to put his hand on his dead daughter. And that's going to be big, but we're going to come back to that later in the message. Let's continue on. We're going to skip ahead to verse 19. It says this, Jesus got up, went with him, and so did his disciples. Let's skip ahead to verse 23. It says this, When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up, and news spread of this or news of this spread throughout all that region. And the first person that Jesus encounters is someone who's dead. And I think that's one of the first things that we have to realize about the lost people in our oikos, those that God has supernaturally and strategically placed into our lives, is that lost people are dead. That's your first blink. Lost people are dead. Lost people are spiritually dead. They may not be physically dead, but they are spiritually dead. Now, when I thought of this spiritually dead, I thought of two categories of, of, it sounds weird, but deadness. Two categories of spiritually dead. The first one I want to look at today, it's in your notes, is people who are really dead. Now, these are the individuals in your life who you look at and you're like, man, if they ever came to Christ, like that would just be a pure miracle. Man, if they ever stepped foot inside a church, like that would just be absolutely astonishing. There's no way. There's no way. I worked in the restaurant business for about 10 years. That's a long time, right? 10 years. That's a long time. That's why I went to college. And so I worked in the restaurant business for 10 years, and I saw my fair share of people who fell into this category. Whether it's the customer in my face screaming at me because his steak is overcooked, that's a true story, by the way. That really happened. Or if it's a manager who goes out and parties all night, steals from the company, and, and just treats his employees like garbage, I've experienced some of the worst. But you know what? This is the person that, that we're not comfortable approaching, right? This is the person that we don't feel comfortable with inviting to church. As a matter of fact, this may be the person that we don't want to invite to church, right? Because the last thing we'd want to do is see them on a day where we're like, oh, I get to be around all my, all my fellow Christians, right? The last thing we would want is to see or to have to deal with this individual, right? I think we can all admit that. Or maybe it's because we think that there's no hope for them. Maybe we think that they're too far gone. Maybe we think that there's just absolutely no way that they can come out of this deadness that they're experiencing. But the next one I want to talk about, I think, personally, is the most dangerous uh, of the deadnesses. That's funny, I'm inventing a word as I'm talking. Of the deadnesses, and that's a little dead, but I want you to write instead, mostly dead. Mostly dead. I'm seeing some smiles, because I know some of you know where I'm going with this. How many of you have ever seen The Princess Bride before? Raise your hand. All right, remember, remember when Wesley had the life just sucked out of him and Indigo Mantoyo, you killed my father, prepared to die. You can't say his name without saying that. But he finds Wesley and he brings him to Billy Crystal's character, Miracle Max, right? And he's like, you have to bring him back because he's the only hope for the world. And Miracle Max is like, I don't believe that. Try something else. He's like, I have to avenge my father's death. And he goes, well, you should have went with the first one. And so they bring him, they set him on this table. And first they try this little like air thing. And because Billy Crystal says, oh, he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. 
He's got a little life left in him. We can bring him back. And so he starts pumping him with air. Wesley says, true love. Or he goes, what's worth living for? And Wesley goes, true love. And he's like, okay, we need something more. So you give him that pill. And Wesley comes back to life. Not fully, but he comes back to life. See, that's mostly dead. And I think the mostly dead is what, what the synagogue leader thought about his daughter. You see, in Jewish culture, when someone dies... They have about one to two days, this is what they believe, they have about one to two days to try and bring that individual back to life. What they believed is that the spirit of that individual would be chilling above them saying like, okay, who's going to bring me back? You've got two days. And then as soon as the body starts decaying, the spirit says, okay, peace out and goes back up. So that's what the Jewish people believed in their culture. So for this official, when he comes to find Jesus, he says, there's still hope for my daughter. She's not fully dead. She's not really dead. She's just mostly dead. There's still hope. But when I think about the lost people that we have in our oikos, I tend to think that we see people who have everything together, who have a great marriage, who have a great house, who have a great car. They have the shiny new Tahoe in their driveway. And we think to ourselves, man, they're doing pretty good for themselves, right? I don't need to invite them to church. They seem like they're, they're doing just fine. As a matter of fact, sometimes I bet you we think, you know what, they probably already know Jesus. So I don't even need to, I don't even need to bother. They probably already go to church, right? I'm here to tell you that is one of the most dangerous lies the enemy can tell us. That is one of the most dangerous lies that we can fall for when it comes to those individuals. Because this brings us to our next point. If you're dead, you're dead. Dead is dead. When it comes to spiritual deadness, there's no really dead where you look at the hell's angel who wants to go into the bar and bash heads and and kick people. And there's no difference between the guy who has his life together, who has the brand new Chevy Tahoe, beautiful family, you know, beautiful dog, seems to have everything together. There's no difference. As a matter of fact, when I think about the people who, who in our oikos that we think of mostly dead, I tend to think of blackberries. Now, not the phone blackberries, but, but actual fruit blackberries. I absolutely love them. It's my absolute favorite snack to have. And so a couple of weeks back, I went into Aldi, which is not a market push, but that place is amazing. I go into Aldi, and I see these blackberries. I'm like, $2 for blackberries. Man, that's a killer deal. And so I grab these blackberries. I take them home. I sit down on my couch. I turn on MasterChef because I absolutely love MasterChef. I turn it on and I pull out this little Blackberry and I'm like, oh, you are the epitome of what a Blackberry should look like. You're glistening. You're shining. You're slightly squishy. You're not firm. You're not going to be sour in my mouth. You're going to taste sweet. I'm going to enjoy this. And I put the Blackberry in my mouth. And what do I do? Ah! It tasted awful. It deceived me. I'm like, you deceitful little blackberry. You looked like you were great on the outside, but as soon as I put you in my mouth, you dissolved into this nasty texture and blandness. There was no sweet. There was no sour. It was just just bland. It was rotten on the inside. And man, that got me thinking, like, how many times do we see people in our lives who look great on the outside who look shiny and clean, and they look like they just got everything together on the inside. But in the reality of it, if we got to the core of them, they're as rotten and as dead as the person who we try to avoid, as the person who's really dead. You see, that's the thing, is there's no difference between these two individuals. There's no difference between mostly dead and really dead. 
There's only dead. And I love what, what happens when Jesus, he comes to this house and, and he, uh, he goes into the house. And I love the fact that, that the people laughed at him when he came inside because they were like, man, you've been gone for two, you guys, have, you didn't make it in time. This girl is really dead now. It's been more than three days. There's no way that you're going to bring her back to life. And what does Jesus do? He comes in in that moment and he takes that little girl's hand and he raises her from the dead. He brings life to her body. And that's the thing is that the dead people in our oikos, the people who are spiritually dead in our lives, they desperately need the touch of Jesus. They desperately need Jesus to bring them life. They need Jesus to bring them hope. Hope that they're drained of. And that brings us to point number two. Lost people are drained of hope. Lost people are drained of hope. Let's look at Matthew verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 20. It says this. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind them and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Now, what's interesting about this woman is that she was at the end of her rope. She had exhausted all options that she could possibly use to try and heal herself. Now, Matthew doesn't, doesn't describe that, but we're actually going to jump to another passage. We're going to take a break in Matthew and jump to uh, Mark chapter 5. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. It's going to be on the screen for you. But Mark gives us a little bit more detail of why she's hopeless, of why she has lost all hope. And it says this, A large crowd followed and pressed around him, talking about Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. I love what it says right there. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. Because the woman in the story had exhausted all options that the world had to offer her. She had done everything that she could do in her own power to get healed. And it made me think, how many solutions does the world offer us to fulfill us? To say, you know what, this is all you need to feel complete. This is all you need to feel hope. You know, one of, the, one of the shows I absolutely love picking on because I just, it's just, it's hilarious, is The Bachelor. How many of you have seen The Bachelor before? Okay, yeah, some of the girls are raising their hand. Okay, so there's quite a few of you who don't know what this show's about. So basically in The Bachelor what happens is you have this dude who comes in, he thinks he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He's like, I'm like the perfect bachelor, so... I'm going to put myself out there and see if, see if the ladies want to get married to me. And then you have about 12 to 15 ladies who are like, oh, it's The Bachelor. Like, all our dreams are going to get fulfilled. He's going to be fantastic. And they go through weeks and weeks of like trying to win this guy's heart. And then it comes to the season finale. And you have the two ladies standing there. And The Bachelor walks in. And he's got the single rose. The rose that will seal the deal. And he goes to the middle of where the ladies are. And he goes to one lady. He says, psych, no, it's this lady. And hands her the rose. And she's like, oh my gosh, like I won. Like now I can feel complete. Now we're going to get married. We're going to go on this wonderful honeymoon. It's going to be happily ever after, right? 
Well, what happens two months later when we look in the news? They break up. They get divorced. Because they realized that this person in their life couldn't fill that void that they were looking for them to fill. They realized that that person cannot do what only Jesus can do in their lives. And man, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who I know who don't know Jesus, who go from person to person to person to person to try and fill that void. They think, this person didn't make me feel complete. Maybe, maybe this person will. Okay, this person didn't. Maybe this person will. They're going and trying to find different avenues. They're trying to fill that hole that only Jesus can fill. Filling that void that only Jesus can fill. You know what's interesting is I think that we as believers even fall in the same lie, right? I mean, not so much with the dating part, but I'll be the first one to admit. When I see a truck commercial, I'm like, oh, Silverado looks great, right? I can get that Silverado, like I'll, feel, I'll actually feel like a man after that. Like I'll be a man, I'll have a truck. Or maybe, or maybe it's a woman who sees that dream cruise, that dream vacation and saying, oh, if I can go on that vacation, me and my hubby can get away and we'll feel refreshed and we'll feel ready to go and I'll be good to go get the world. But, but what happens after a while, after we get those things? We start looking for the next big thing. I'll be the first one to admit, when I, when I order something online, I check the tracking. Okay, where is it at? Okay, five minutes have passed. Why are you not at my door? And then the UPS man pulls up and you're like, yes, he's here. And he gives you that box and you're holding that box that says Amazon Prime. Because let's face it, if it's not two-day free shipping, it's not worth it. And so you grab that box and you open it up and you grab the item and you're like, yes, it's here. It's shiny. It's great. It's perfect. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fulfill that desire. I feel complete now. But what happens a week later? You're like, oh, sweet, my cup. That's cool. Hey, what else can I get? You see, we fall for the same lie every single time. But it makes me think, if we fall for it every single time, how much easier is it for those who don't know Jesus to fall for it every single time? You see, no matter what we try to fill our lives with, we'll always come up empty. The lost try to fill their lives with different things every single day. They try, to, they try to feel that fulfillment. They try to fill that void. Whether it's going to the bar and trying to find that, that next person that can fill that, or maybe it's to, to drown their sorrows in alcohol to use that can complete them. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's taking that selfie and posting it on an Instagram and saying, if I can get at least 50 likes, then I'll feel affirmed about myself. Then I'll feel complete. You see, that's the thing. But at the end of the day, they still feel empty. They still don't have hope. A hope that only Jesus can bring. A healing that only Jesus can bring. Let's look at verse 27, 29 in Mark. It says this, When she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And I love that last line. She was freed from her suffering. I love doing baptism interviews. I love interviewing people for the worship team because you get to hear these testimonies of how people found Jesus. And I love it. It usually always starts with, I felt empty. 
I felt like there was something more. I felt like I needed something to fill that void. You see, that's the thing, is the lost, they're searching. They're searching so hard. While they may not make it obvious that they're searching, they're searching. But here's the thing, is that the world would love to fill that void for them. The world would love to blind them from the truth that only Jesus can give them hope. The world will blind them from the truth, which is your third point. Lost people are blind to truth. Lost people are blind to truth. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to see Jesus encountering two individuals who had been in darkness for their entire lives. Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter, 20, or chapter 9, verse 27. And it says this, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. An interesting note here is that Jesus healing the blind is probably the most common miracle we see in the Gospels. And I think there's a reason for that. Because in John, Jesus proclaims that I am the light of the world. And so for him to heal the blind, he's basically saying that I am the light that illuminates the darkness. I am the light that will bring light to the permanent darkness that these individuals had experienced their entire lives. And uh, how many of you have kids or have raised kids in your life? Okay, how many of you have ever navigated what I love to call the midnight minefield? Midnight Minefield. So I have a 17-month-old uh, baby boy. His name is Brenton. And he has discovered this great game of saying, hey, let's see how many toys I can scatter around the house, right? And so when I'm going to bed, I get into bed, and I, I turn off my light. It's been a long day. I turn it off, and then I notice, ah, oh, the porch light's on. And I can't go to bed because the porch light just shines right into my bedroom. I'm like, all right, I have to, I have to get up. I have to turn it off. And I go out there, and it's completely pitch black because Brenton's already in bed. And I'm like, well, I can't turn on the lights because he'll wake up, and that would just be game over at that point. And so I'm like, okay, I have to navigate the minefield. And what do I do? I do the shuffle. I do the shuffle because I know if I'm shuffling my feet, I'll avoid stepping on the Legos. And thankfully, I don't have a girl yet because then there would be Barbie doll hairbrushes involved in this as well, which I heard are the worst. And so I'm navigating Legos. I'm navigating Hot Wheels. Well, well, unfortunately for us, we have this little demonic entity right here. And it is by far the loudest toy I've ever seen. And so I'll be navigating that little minefield, be shuffling and shuffling and shuffling. All of a sudden, just goes off. And it's game over. Baby's awake. The house is in ruin. And it's just, it's all gone. It's all over. And that's the thing, is that when we wander in darkness, we run into obstacles, right? When you're wandering through your living room at midnight trying to get to the light or trying to get that, you're going to run into obstacles. I mean, let's face it, nothing hurts more than stubbing your toe, right? It's hilarious that the little tiny toe like that can hurt so bad. But it made me think about those who are wandering, who've been wandering in darkness their whole lives. They're wandering in darkness. They're hitting these obstacles. They're, they're trying to find their way, but they constantly just trip and fall over and, and try to, and try to, navigate something that they can't navigate you see the lost are in a constant state of darkness it's a darkness that has absolutely no light 
absolutely no light. There can't be light. Let's look at what the Apostle John says in 1 John. He says this, And this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. And I think that last verse paints it so well for us. That if we claim to be in light, if we claim to have everything okay in our lives, we're still going to be in darkness. No amount of good deeds, no amount of good works can bring us out of the darkness. You know, I think celebrities are one of the, one of the best examples for this because how many times are, a day are you on Instagram that you see people saying, oh, look how many people I fed or, or look how much relief I did for this hurricane. And those things are all great. But what this passage is telling us is that even with all those things, even with all the great things, even all the good works you do, if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have the light, you're going to be in darkness. You're going to be in darkness. No matter how many orphans Kanye helps out in Africa, no matter how many people Selena Gomez feeds, it's never going to be enough to get them to heaven. It's never going to be enough to get them the light. Only Jesus can bring the light. He is the light of the world. He is the light that cures the blindness. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 28. It says this, When Jesus had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. I love this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. Think about blindness. Think about someone who is physically blind, how much darkness there actually is. It's a constant state of darkness, a darkness that never goes away. They never see the sun. They never see the light. They never see colors. But think about this. What happens when Jesus puts his hand on the people's eyes? Suddenly they see light. Suddenly their sight is restored. They could see physical light they can see shapes they can see objects they could see colors think about how vibrant that had to be how awesome that had to be for them that they were finally able to see something that is so beautiful and so great and think about that person in your oikos who's spiritually blind think about how awesome it would be for them to have the veil pulled away from their eyes And to see the light of Christ. To see the hope that he offers. To see the life that he offers. Think about how hopeless it feels to them right now. And think about how hopeless it feels to you. But here's the thing. Is that for Jesus, nothing is ever hopeless. For Jesus, no one is too far blind to be healed. But the thing of the matter is, is that we have an enemy out there who would love nothing more than to keep them in darkness. We have an enemy out there that is working so hard to keep the lost bound in their sin, to keep them lost, to keep them dead, to keep them hopeless. And that leads us to our fourth point. 
Lost people are bound by sin. Lost people are bound by sin. Let's continue. Verse 32 in Matthew. And it says this, While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. I want to point out a couple of things here before we continue on in the passage. And the first point I want to point out is it's interesting that this is the first time in our story that we encounter demonic influence in the life of someone who's lost. This is the first time that we see a force behind this man's life that is keeping him that way. And I think sometimes that we tend to forget that we have an enemy out there who would love nothing more than to keep these individuals exactly where they're at. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. It says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, the enemy is working in every single person's life who doesn't know Jesus. He's making it as hard as he possibly can for those people to know Jesus, to come into contact with Jesus. You know, whenever I think about, whenever I think about this, I think, man, the enemy really makes it easy for them to stay there, right? He makes it comfortable. He makes it feel nice. And I love what Dave Ramsey says. There's a quote I love from him. It, uh, it's talking about people who are going through financial crisis who just who can't get out of the crisis that they're going through. And he says this. He says, we don't like change. We're like a toddler sitting in a poopy diaper. Yeah, I know it smells bad, but it's warm and it's mine. <laughs> you see, sometimes I think that those who are lost, they don't want to be found because it feels good to them. It feels normal to them, and it feels nice to them. I mean, think about our own lives. I'll be the first one to admit, I'm a sinner who was saved by grace, but I'm still a sinner. How good does it feel sometimes when you do that thing that you know you're not supposed to do? It feels nice, right? It feels good. That's the problem with sin. It feels good, which is why we keep going back to it. So think about that. If it's that easy for us to go back to our sin as believers, how easy is it for unbelievers to stay in it? How easy is it for them to stay in the darkness? How comfortable is it for them? Because they haven't known anything different. They don't know anything different. They're blinded by the forces of this world who would love to keep them that way. Something else I want to point out about this passage is this is the first instance that we see where where someone is brought to Jesus. And so the other three individuals, well, four individuals, actually, we have the the official who who brings Jesus to to the dead girl. She can't go to Jesus because she's dead. And then we have the, the woman who seeks Jesus out because she knows that he's the last option for her to find hope. And then we have the the blind men who come and follow Jesus all the way to to the place he's staying, looking for that healing. But what's interesting about this individual is he didn't go looking for Jesus. And there's a reason for that. Do you think the demon that was inside of him wanted to encounter Jesus? Because what happens every single time evil, demonic forces encounter Jesus in Scripture? They cower. 
They freak out because they know they are in the presence of God. They cower and they tremble. See, the thing is is that the world will not willingly allow these individuals to find Jesus. They will do everything in their power to keep them from Jesus. But what made the demon give up control of the man? Jesus. It's the power of Jesus. Let's look at verse 33. It says this, And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. See, the forces of evil cannot stand against the power of God. I think it's hilarious that you have, here in this world, you have the, the media painting this picture where, where Satan and Jesus are equals, right? They're like facing each other. It says, the greatest conflict ever. That's the stupidest picture ever. What it should be is Satan on the ground and Jesus with his foot like that, curve stomping him to the ground. Because that's the reality. Jesus has won already. There is no fight. There is no equals going at each other. Jesus is Lord of all. And if we remember that in our lives, when we're actively trying to reach those who are being oppressed by the world, it brings us hope, right? It brings us strength. But here's the thing, is that if we're not actively seeking out the lost, I guarantee you the forces of this world are. And they currently are doing it. And again, they'll make it nice and easy for them to stay in that pattern. Which is why it's so important for us to bring the compassion of Jesus to the people in our oikos. That's the fifth point. We bring the compassion of Jesus to the lost. We bring the presence of Jesus everywhere we go. We are his representatives to this world. Look what John 14 says. This is what Jesus says to his, to his disciples as he's getting ready to go to the cross. He says this, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You see, when we accept Jesus into our lives, he comes into us. He makes his home in our hearts. And he never leaves us. His presence is everywhere that we go. And I love what it says at the end of that verse. It says, and you are in me and I am in you. Man, that brings us great courage, right? Knowing that in every instance that we, that we come into contact with the lost, we bring Jesus with us. We bring the power of Almighty God with us. But here's the question, though. Is are you bringing the compassion of Jesus to the lost? Are you bringing the compassion of Jesus to those who desperately need it? Or are you saying, you know what? 
I'm going to stay right here in my little Christian bubble, my little Christian church with my Christian friends, because this is comfortable. The people here, they're not scary. I know that they're good. I don't want to, I don't want to interact with them. They're scary. They're, they're evil. I want to stay away from them. Man, that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Jesus calls us to minister to those who desperately need him. And as I'm thinking, as I was thinking about that, it just makes me think we're going to go back to Matthew 9:18. And I love what, what the synagogue leader asks Jesus. He says, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. That may not seem like a huge request for Jesus, but that was an enormous request for Jesus. Because in Jewish culture, if you touched a dead person, it was over for you. You were considered unclean. You were considered an outcast at that point. So for this official to come to Jesus and say, I want you to put your hand on my dead daughter was a gigantic request for him to make to Jesus. But what does Jesus do? He goes in and he touches the girl and brings life to her. He goes into something that he thinks or that people think is is a scary, you know, not a smart idea situation. And he goes in there and he brings that girl back to life. In the story of the woman, a woman who had been suffering from unstoppable bleeding, something that would make you unclean. She goes and she touches Jesus, which would have made him unclean. But then she's healed. For the blind man, if you were to touch people who are blind, it would also make you unclean. But what does Jesus do? He takes his hands and puts them on, his, on their eyes and heals them. And no one would ever go close to anyone who is demon-possessed. But what does Jesus do? He says, bring him to me and I will cast him out. How many people do we know in our oikos, who need to have the power of Jesus touch their lives. Even when it makes us uncomfortable, even when it makes us, you know, I'm not too sure about this, or how about this? Even when we don't want them to be touched by the power of Christ. See, the thing is, is that everyone needs Jesus. Every lost person, everyone who's, whether they're, they're really dead or mostly dead, everyone needs the life of Jesus, the light of Jesus, the hope that Jesus brings, and a power that can overcome any power in this world. Let's look at what Jesus says at the end of our passage here in verse 35. He says this, And Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, but ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. You see, Jesus recognized the monumental task that was ahead of us. That there are so many people who need the light of God. You know, I love what he says here in this passage. He says, like a sheep without a shepherd. 
And I don't know if any of you know um, anything about sheep and shepherds, but if a sheep is without a shepherd, they're as good as dead. Because they'll keep going, they'll keep going and stumble over obstacles, and eventually as well, the animals will come and they'll devour them. That makes me think of the people who are lost. They're going to keep wandering. They're going to keep stumbling. And I guarantee you, there's going to be forces in this world who would love nothing more than to devour them and keep them that way. Unless we step into their lives and bring the guiding power of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the same compassion that Jesus gave to us, unless we bring that compassion to them, they're going to stay lost. And I know for some of you, you're like, man, that scares me. It scares me to share my faith. What are people going to think? What are people going to do when I share my faith with them, when I interact with them? Well, we at HDC, we're providing you with a life path class here at this campus called Communicating Your Christian Faith. And it's an awesome class that's going to give you um, real life experience. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help you know how to, how to better communicate your faith. It's going to help you to step out of your comfort zone and to, and to live among these people and to show the love of Christ to these people. And in your program, you have a sign-up sheet there if you want to sign up for it. I would highly recommend that you sign up for this class. Because, guys, Christ, or the, the lost in our world desperately need Jesus. No one is too far gone. No one is too hopeless. No one is too far in the darkness that the power of Jesus can't reach them. Let's be that light. Let's bring the compassion of Jesus to the lost. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day and the fact, Lord, that you have brought us out of darkness, Lord, into glorious light a light that illuminates our paths, Lord, and a, and a life that, that fills us with hope and, and fills us with the compassion that we can now express to others. And God, I pray for every single person here, Lord, that you would, that you would give us the courage, Lord, to, to show compassion to those who are lost. Lord, to show the love that you have for the lost to others. And maybe there's someone here today with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe there's someone here today that says, you know what, I'm in that situation. I feel lost. I feel hopeless. I feel, I feel drained. I know there's something more, and I want that something. I need Jesus to come into my life, to fill me, to, to help me to feel complete, to make me complete. If that's you today, just pray these the simple prayers. It starts with the ABCs. A, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you, that you have that void, that you need the light of Jesus in your life. B, believe. Believe in him. Believe that he can do this. Believe that he died and rose again for our sins. And C, choose. Choose to follow him because it's a choice. It's a choice to follow him. It can be a difficult choice, but it's one of the best choices you will ever make in your life. And Lord, again, I just pray for all of us, Lord, that you would give us the courage, God, that you would give us the confidence and the compassion to reach those who desperately need you. We love you, God. We love you so much. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.